This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Thank you. It's good to see you guys again after so many months. God bless you. What a joy, privilege, and honor to be here. Your pastor has truly honored me in that greeting, and uh, I stand amazed that God can use me the way He has to do what He has done through our organization worldwide. It's an amazing thing to stand and see God use you in spite of yourself, and so the glory goes to Him. Let's pray, and I'm going to get straight into the Word. Lord God Almighty, ruler of the universe, ruler of the church, and today ruler in our hearts, come have your way in us so that you can have your way through us. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We open our hearts, Holy Spirit, to teach us, to guide us, to lead us into all truth. That, O oh God, in our going out, we'll leave you stronger, built up, edified, encouraged, challenged, having grown in our measure and capacity for what you want for our lives. And so, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church, O oh God, in this community. And I pray, O oh God, as a uh, beacon of hope, it will shine very bright into this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, next year, uh, one of the things I want to focus on, and my doctoral thesis in missiology, I have two doctorates, one in theology, one in missiology, was Islamic studies. And this, I, I wrote my thesis years before 9-11, having worked in Islamic areas in Africa and seen their strategy, and, uh, and I, I entitled it, Pulling Down the Iron Gates of Islam. How many of you know that every nation, every kingdom will have to bow under the universal lordship of Jesus Christ? Amen. There is no government, there is no authority that is stronger than our God, and I've read the back of the book, and he wins and we win. Hallelujah. We have already won, even though at times it doesn't look like it. The, the, the victory is already determined 2,000 years ago at the cross. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. Hallelujah. There is no name, as was so beautifully sung in worship, there is no name stronger than the name of Jesus. There is no other name given that men can be saved other than faith in Him and faith in His name. Next year, I want to run 20 conferences teaching on Islam. They have a strategy, and I think the Church of America needs to know the roots, the foundation, the origins of Islam, because we have been threatened with hate crime if you say anything that you believe. Well, the church needs to know what we believe and what they believe. It's weird. There was a preacher in England who spoke out against ISIS, and they, they sued him. The government sued him for, for hate speech. And uh, all he did was teach 
about the beheadings, and unlike our president who says ISIS is not a religious movement, it is a religious movement, it's fundamentalist. I don't know how he thought he could get that past us, are we that ignorant? And people are being mutilated and killed in the name of a religion, not just in the name of a war to take land. And uh, we need to know what's going on because it is going to escalate. They will try through inbred terrorism. Then it's already taken place. They've been killing individuals for years. Assassinations and, and that that's been taking place. It's just not widely proclaimed by liberal media. Just the other day, a young man was shot as retribution. And these have been taking place over the years. And so I want to teach on that. And it's going to be, I think, very important. While we have an opportunity to have voice legally, I want to use mine to teach on Islam. So start praying about that because I want to run at least 20 conferences, a Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, teaching on Islam. And then what is our response? What is our call to the Islamic world? And so that's one of the things I want to cover. Um, this morning, I don't have a lot of time, but I do want to lay a foundation. Now, tonight, I'll pick it up. Tonight, I want to speak about community transformation. And Monday night, I want to speak about personal transformation. This morning, I want to lay a foundation for transformation. Um, I saw a cartoon the other day. I'm always looking around at at stuff. Yesterday I was driving on my way to the airport. There was a bumper sticker that, uh, that said, I'm in that awkward phase of life between birth and death. <laughs> I thought, I can preach about that. It is rather awkward at times because we don't really know everything that's going on, and there's a constant development taking place. That's transformation. And uh, one man said, change is here to stay. That's transformation. We will change. We'll need to keep on changing. The church needs to change. That's transformation. And we need to bring God's change to our community and to our world. They said of the early church, they were turning their world upside down. What's a community transformation? The light of the gospel brings change. Sometimes it's embraced. Sometimes it's ridiculed. Sometimes it's rejected. But we are carriers of change. To carry and give something away, you have to personally have it. That's called transformation. Back to my cartoon. Um, this butterfly was driving a car, and the traffic officer pulled the butterfly aside. And he's standing looking at the license, uh, the photograph on the license. He says, you don't look anything like your photograph. And, uh, well, that's transformation because the caterpillar becomes the butterfly. A metamorphosis must take place. Now, the greatest change, without a shadow of a doubt, is the new birth. I like to call it the new creation miracle. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are brand new. And you'll remember the day you called upon the name of Jesus, everything changed inside of you. Things that you thought you would never count as important suddenly became your highest priority. Things you said you would never do, you wanted to do. 
things that you didn't believe in before, suddenly you believe it, and you don't just believe it. You want everyone to believe what you didn't believe in. You actually stand amazed that they're so ignorant, even though you're only one hour old in Jesus. Like, I like to describe the new birth as the, the sky is bluer, the grass is greener, even though it's in the middle of winter and it's an overcast day. Everything changes, your whole outlook. It's the most wonderful miracle that anyone could ever have. There are physical miracles, there are provisional miracles, but the greatest miracle is when you become a new creation. Why? Because you can't do that yourself. You can't discipline yourself into a new creation creature. You can't uh, uh, work at it because it's an instant act of God. You were lost, you were blind, you were dead, and now you're alive and you can see. Before you couldn't hear God, now you can hear Him. You remember when God began to speak to you as a, as a young person and you would just reject His voice thinking, what's that? I remember when God called me into the ministry, I was sitting in church and I heard Him call me and I was, I was like, Samuel, I couldn't recognize His voice. And I, I remember vividly going through my mind, that's the last thing in my life that I'd ever want to do. And I looked at the preacher standing behind the podium and I thought, that must be the most miserable of all jobs in the face of the earth. And yeah, I'm going in November, I'll be going into my 40th year of full-time ministry. <laughs> and there's never been, there has never been one day when I've wanted to quit on the call of God, yet before I was saved, I couldn't hear His voice. I couldn't recognize His voice. I couldn't acknowledge His voice. But the moment I was born again, I wanted the will of God in my life. I remember thinking when I watched Christians witnessing on the streets, I think, those people are weird. And in fact, I turned to my wife and I said, you'd never, ca you'd never catch me doing that. And then a couple of weeks later, I was standing out handing out tracts. So I learned, never say never. Why? Because I became a new creation. The old had passed away. The greatest miracle is the new birth. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a brand new species of superior innovation greater than the original creation because the original creation, Adam, sinned and failed. This new creation in Christ can never fail. Hallelujah. And you remember when you were first born again, you started to see change. You wanted the Word. Like a newborn babe, you desired to read, to study, to meditate in the Word. In fact, if you never had a desire for the Word of God in your life, I would question the authenticity of your new birth. I think if you never desired to study the Word of God, you just made a mental decision. You want to avoid hell and go to heaven, but you weren't born again. There was no faith because the Bible says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. If there's never been a desire for the word in your life, you have to question whether you were born again. Now, I do acknowledge that after some time, that desire may weaken because of the pressures of life. 
And uh, that's where I was going. You start strong. You study the Word. You meditate in the Word. You read the Word. You memorize the Word. You embrace the Holy Spirit. As He speaks to you, He says, do this. You immediately do it. But then after some time, what happens is the things that were precious and holy become common. You start taking the voice and the presence of God for granted. And you start treating the holy things of God as ordinary. Remember when Moses stood before, before the burning bush, God spoke to him through that fiery bush and said, Moses, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Eventually we start standing on holy ground as if it's where we belong because we get used to the glory of God. But the danger is, in the beginning, you're innocent and you're pure and you honor it. Eventually, you start to take it for granted. You love the Word, but then you start taking it for granted. You love the voice of God, but then you start taking it for granted. And you start allowing other things to dominate in your life. And you'll find most Christians, if you look at a graph, they start growing like that. Then they plateau. And then sometimes they even start going down. People call it backsliding. They start making compromises in their life. And that growth goes something like that. And then sometimes there's little blips of growth. But then we find this equilibrium. We are never meant to consolidate and find a plateau. It's always meant to be from glory to glory and from strength to strength ever increasing. Moses had a fading glory. Ours is an unfading glory. It should get brighter and brighter and brighter. And so change should never come to a stop in our lives. In the beginning, there's this like spring clean of your life. You're first born again. You get rid of anything that is impure in your home, in your life. Out goes the old music. Bam, Crash the records. I remember one person taught on frogs being the curse. I went around my house looking for any little image of a frog. Out with the frogs. Cute little natural creatures created by God. But you're so innocent. You just believe everything that people say. You don't even question it. You're walking in the fear of God. Alcohol down, flush, cigarettes out, everything goes. You just... Believe the word. But then there starts these compromises start coming in. Now true, you start to stabilize. You mature a little bit. You don't just take things at face value. You start to analyze it. But the problem is Christians stop growing. And they plateau. In the beginning, they're zealous about souls. If there's a prayer meeting, they're there. Eventually, they start making excuses. I'm busy. I don't want to be obnoxious. I don't want to be rude. And we start backing away from sharing the gospel. And I agree. In your ignorance, you have zeal, but then you get knowledge. It's not meant to be knowledge at the loss of zeal. It's just meant to be knowledge with zeal. You're never meant to lose the fire in your bones. You're never meant to lose the passion in your heart. You're just meant to round it off with balance and wisdom, especially when it comes to sharing the gospel, because think about it, your 
presentation of the gospel could cost someone their eternity. You could so put them off that any other Christian that comes after you sharing the gospel by your being insensitive or obnoxious could actually push them so far back that they're unreachable. So we do want to walk with skill. But that's part of transformation. Transformation is not just growing in knowledge. It's growing in skills. Skills in the anointing. Skills in your ministry gift. Skills in listening to the voice of God. Skills in applying the Word into your life. It's also been developed in godly character. So that your character matches your anointing. So that you're not all just... The power of God, speaking in other tongues, operating in the gifts of God. But you have things like integrity, humility, honesty, and uh, grace for other people. And so we learn to grow in character as well. So we want to look at the importance of transformation, this metamorphosis. Something I've learned from my military days is this. That in the United States, you call it boot camp. How many of you have been through boot camp? Uh, Just one or two lonely hands in the wilderness. You will know what I'm going to talk about. Those who have never been through boot camp, you may have seen some movies on YouTube when people go into special ops and you watch their training. It's quite something to go and look at that to get an idea of what our men and women in uniform have to go through. But what boot camp is, it's the extraction of the civilian out of the person and the making them into a fighting machine where they become usable for the defense of the nation. In South Africa, we called it basics or foundations. And what foundations or boot camp is, it's the eradication of the civilian. Another word for boot camp, you men and women who have been in the military, is transformation. The first thing that goes is your hair, goes your civilian clothes. You get your dog tags, you get your uniform, they start putting you in lines and everything is in lines and you lose your personal identity, which is your name and it becomes your rank, your number, and you become a fighting machine. What we do is we indoctrinate you. Or, as the Muslims would call it, we radicalize you so that you no longer think like a civilian, but you start to think like a soldier or a sailor or an airman. And so it is the transformation. And when you're saved, what we have to do is, is not only the new creation miracle gets the sinner out of you and turns you into a saint, because And many people don't realize this because we always see saints as those who have been canonized, who lived very pious lives and operated in the supernatural in Catholicism or in orthodoxy. But you've got to realize this, that if you are born again, you are a saint. (laughs) I know you don't look like one. (laughs) I know that you don't sound like one, but you are. But yes, the thing is, we use that word saint, but really what it means is sanctified. Uh, Another word that would describe 
been a saint is separated. You are taken out of one realm and placed into another. You are taken out of the use of the world, sin and the devil, and you are made usable by God. The blood sanctifies you, separates you from sin. The oil of the Spirit sanctifies you, separates you for the use of God. And that's why many Christians never enter into the identity because we always see ourselves as sinners, not as saints. But when you're born again, you're no longer a sinner. sinner. That's who you were. Now you are a child of God. You're a saint. You set aside for God. And unless you see that, you'll always be living with the mentality that I'm a sinner. It's, uh, you know, in the uh, AA, the first confession of an alcoholic is, I am an alcoholic. And, and, you know, in, in the church, many people, their first confession is, I am a sinner. No, you're not a sinner. I was a sinner. I am now a saint. You can't call yourself what you were Paul referred to his life as a sinner as the former manner of conduct. I was dead in my trespasses and in my sins. I am now alive in Christ Jesus. I was a sinner, but now I belong to God. And so we have to understand this terminology because this is transformation. It's not just getting the sinner out of you, the blood took the sinner out of you, but what transformation does is get the culture, the worldview of an American or an African or an Asian, it takes your worldview and transforms your culture and your way of thinking from secular to kingdom. Because say you were saved at 35, How many of you were saved in your 30s? You had 30 years of indoctrination as a religionist, as a secularist, as whatever you were. And and so your thought pattern, your behavior is established for 30 years. Now you are saved in your spirit, but your mind is unrenewed. You think like you've thought for 30 years, and what transformation is, is the changing of your thinking to conform with what the Word says. Transformed thinking. That's what we're going to look at today. Go with me in your Bibles, if you have them, on your phone, your iPad, or you can watch on the screen above me. Um, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 12, and I'll go through as much as I can before I hand over to Pastor Bob. And remember, what I start now will be picked up tonight and on Monday night. I'll never get through it. It says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. I want to pause there. I want you to notice something here, if we get it up. I beseech you therefore... Therefore, is put there for a very specific purpose. The the language is very clear. Another way of I beseech you, I mean, when last did someone beseech you? The other day I beseeched someone. He was a 
I'm working with my team in the First Nations in Canada, and there's this one pastor that's really, really insecure. And uh, I, I, I spoke to him, and he was complaining about my team being there. And uh, I, I told him, listen, I understand that you may not like the fact that we are there because you don't understand. I said, the, the truth is, I have to obey God. The Bible says go into all the world, and that includes going to the aboriginals, to the First Nations. And you as a First Nation pastor may think it's an invasion, but the First Nations doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God, and God can send someone from India to you. God can send someone from Africa to you, and God can send you to Africa. That's just the way God does it. I said, if I back away from this assignment, I may please you, but I will be displeasing to God. And he was complaining and getting irritated with me. Eventually, I said to him, I beseech you, brother, in the name of Jesus. And he slammed the phone down. <laughs> so the word beseech to some people is quite a strong word. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I urge you. Why is Paul urging brethren Christians? These on, I beseech you, therefore, sinners. He's beseeching Christians. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters. This is Romans 12, verses 1. Romans 12, not Romans 1. You can see pastors actually develop eyes at the back of their head. It's like an evolutionary transformation that takes place. Um, we as pastors are so skilled, we can see when you sleep and we're facing the front. When we're worshiping, we actually look in, who's missing? Why are they not there? Why are their arms folded? I want to go over and slap them over the head. We can do that. You just see hair here, but there's actually eyes here. And uh, pastors develop this heightened, we're like Spider-Man. We get these tingling senses. We can see our kids or our grandkids. When they're doing something at the back, we're standing at the front, and we know it before a usher comes and tells us that our kids are behaving. And we can send telepathic messages to our kids. You better line up. Don't even have to say it. They just look at your eyes. Or the eyes, yeah, and they know. You know what I'm talking about, Pastor? We're amazing creatures. You should never mess with pastors. We're like so gifted by God. I mean, like... Thank you for getting it right. It was confusing because I'm reading here Romans 12, but at the back it was, I, the bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 12, 1. And it was confusing me. Very deep, very deep. Back to my therefore. How many of you got the beseech part? I urge you. So this is something that's important to Paul. I urge you. If you say to someone that you love, I urge you, there's a sense of urgency or this is a priority. I beseech you. I really need to learn to talk like this more often. Rob, I beseech you to get an iPhone 6 as soon as they come out. <laughs> now I've got one already. It's ordered. 
I don't have to beseech him. But if he was still on a dumb phone, how many of you know there's a difference between a smartphone and a dumb phone? I would have to go to Pastor Rob and I'd say, I beseech you, Rob, get a smartphone. What would that mean? This is something you should really do. Okay, you got that part. And then what's therefore, therefore? I beseech you, therefore. Why is it therefore? I'll tell you why. Because from Romans chapter 1 to the end of Romans chapter 11, Paul is telling them why therefore is therefore. What's revealed in Romans 1 through to Romans 11 is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The provision for both the Jews and the Gentiles. God's provision through this ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. So we have to understand Romans 12 verse 1 in the light of Romans 1 through to 11 where Jesus went to the cross taking the sins of the world. Now let's personalize it. Taking your and my sins upon himself and taking our place in judgment so that we would not be doomed. Aren't you glad that Jesus hung poised between hell and heaven on earth, taking your place and mine, doing for us what we could never do? And it's called amazing grace. It's called how great a love is this then God made provision for us that we could be saved. Hallelujah. And it's in this light of this ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, that he's speaking and he's saying, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in other words, by the mercies of God revealed in Jesus, because of what he has done for you, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Let me stop there for a moment. When it says your body is a living sacrifice, he's not just speaking about stay healthy, don't drink too much, don't eat too much, get lots of rest and hydrate yourselves. He's, he's talking about the house of your soul and spirit. This vehicle in which you are going to serve God while on earth. And he's saying, I want you to present this vehicle, this carrier of who you really are. Just like Jesus went bodily to the cross, he carried everything upon himself, in himself for us. He held nothing back. It wasn't just his spirit that went to the cross. He went there physically for us. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Well, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And he's saying Jesus' sacrifice was one of death. He says, yeah, I want yours to be one of life. Because he died, you can live. He doesn't need us to die because Jesus died. He wants us to live. So he says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. 
in response to this ultimate sacrifice in the way he gave 100% for you, I want you to give 100% for him. That's Leon's expanded translation direct from the mind of the Apostle Paul. In response to what Jesus did for you, I want you to give your entire being to him. He gave 100% for you. Give 100% for him. A holy and acceptable sacrifice to God. Now, every gift, that was given, every sacrifice that was given in the Old Testament had to be perfect. You could not give something that was blind, something that was lame, something that had marks upon it. You couldn't give a heifer that was marked. It had to be perfect. There could be no blotches on its skin. It had to be perfect. There couldn't be no uh, infirmity on a sacrifice. Why? Because every Old Testament sacrifice was pointing to the cross. And if they gave something blemished, what they were doing by faith, they were insulting Jesus. Looking forward to the cross. Now we are looking back to the cross. Everything they gave had to be perfect because it spoke of Jesus. And he's saying, just as every Old Testament sacrifice had to be perfect, and just like Jesus was the spotless, perfect Lamb of God, in the way He gave His best for you, I want you to give yourself holy and acceptable to God. Give your best. Holiness, another way of looking at holiness, is not H-O-L-Y, but what about whole? W-H-O-L-E. Whole. Give your entire being to him. Hold nothing back. Have no secret compartments in your life that is for your use. Everything you are, everything you were, everything you will ever be must be for the glory of God. This is where transformation starts. Transformation doesn't start with reading the Bible. Transformation starts by putting your life on the altar of sacrifice in total submission to his love and to his provision for you. Hallelujah. Let me quickly bring this to an end. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now that is important. Your service or your worship, service and worship are interchangeable. Your worship and your service to God is not what you do. It starts at the altar of sacrifice where you give 100% to Him. People get uptight when you talk about tithes. Well, that's under the law. Well, under grace, everything belongs to Him. Even all of who you are and all of what you have belongs to him. That's what he's saying there. Hold nothing back. Give everything to him. And this is where your worship starts. Your worship doesn't start when you sing, when you dance, when you shout, when you give. Your worship starts when you place yourself on the altar, 
giving everything to him. And here I close. And do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't let the world shape your value systems, your priorities, your worldview. Don't be shaped or conformed to the world, not the creation world, but the world systems that are under the prince of the power of the air, secularization, social acceptance. Don't allow that to become your value system, your priorities, but be transformed. There it is, metamorphosis, by the renewing of your mind. Not the removing. As believers, you don't have to remove your mind. You can still think. The renewing of your mind, in other words, getting your thoughts to conform with his thoughts. Getting your ways to conform with his ways. Getting your priorities to conform with his priorities. What's urgent and important to God must become urgent and important to us. Now listen, if we can get this right, not only will you change, the church will change You'll see a lot of pettiness will go, lack of commitment will go, low levels of entering into the things of God will go. Everything changes when you give 100% to Him, when His value system becomes yours, when His priorities become yours. And that's what He's saying, don't be conformed to the religionists, don't be conformed to the old way of thinking, don't be conformed to secularized thinking. Don't let social media dictate to you your value system. Let the Word of God, by the renewing of your mind, the washing of the water of the Word, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Many people are struggling to find the perfect will of God. I'm telling you, it starts by giving your all to Jesus. Only when you give 100% to Him will you discover His perfect plan for your life. Your gifting, your calling, your ministry, your vision, everything is contained in that sacrifice in response to His sacrifice. That's where transformed living starts. Let's stand and I'm going to close in prayer. There is so much in the Scripture that I've just rushed through. But the Spirit of God has been speaking into your life and has been dealing with areas in your heart already. You don't have to wait for tonight or for Monday for transformation to be understood. Already the Word of God is bringing challenge. And here's my closing prayer. Lord God, would you speak loudly and clearly clearly into every heart, into every life, showing them your perfect will, your plan for their lives, your plan for this church, your plan for our being in the United States and citizens of the kingdom. God, would you show your people? Now, before I hand over to Pastor Bob, just look at me for one moment. If you came into this place today, and God has challenged your life. You've not placed your life on the altar of sacrifice in response to the provision of Jesus. 
And today you want Jesus to become the Lord of your life. You want to give your life to Him. Or there was a stage when you were living for God, but you backed away from the things of God. And today, even as I spoke about presenting yourself a living sacrifice to God, you want to present yourself a living sacrifice to God. Would you quickly raise up your hand? I will see it. I will acknowledge it. And I will pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. All over this place, hands are going up in response to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. He has given his all for you. Today, you want to give your all for him. Join me in this prayer, and let's all pray it out loud together. Even if you didn't raise this, your hand, you can still pray this prayer with us and say, God, I've done this, but I'm just going to renew it again. How many of you do that every now and again? You just go to the altar and you say, God, I've done this, but I want to celebrate this. And I know that many of you have done that. I know your lives. But today, the Spirit of God has challenged you, and you realize I'm on and off that altar. I live my life, then I give my life. I live my life, I give my life. I want to give my life and stay there. Lord God, let's pray together. Lord God. I give my all to you. I hold nothing back. Here I am. The past, the present, the future of my life. All of who I am. All of what I have. I hold nothing back. 100%. I give to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave 100% for me. You did for me what I could not do for myself. I am the recipient of your grace, of your love, of your provision. And in response, here I am. I am yours and you are mine. Hallelujah. Give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.